0: Our text, as you can see, is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Impromptu survey. How many of you have this Scripture memorized? I know, I know. You don't even have to to turn to it because you know it. And as a preacher, just a simple confession, the harder sermons to preach are not obscure passages but familiar passages that everybody knows all too well and I've not been the, the best supporting listener of the preacher. In the past, I can remember when the preacher said, sermon is John 316. I thought, ah, oh, great. I've heard everything on John 316, and then the preacher would bless. The harder passages are the ones that are all too familiar, but this is an amazing passage. We can go to again and again and again, and God can speak to us. So, if you need, because you want, even though you do have it memorized, it's Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Yes, Chris did allude to some good news on my behalf. I had come here on the 29th of May. I saw a number of you then. And I alluded to at the end of the service because I preached on patience, patience, that I was in the midst of situation, dilemma, challenge. And when I was here on the 29th of May, that was day 14 of waiting. And I would wait an additional 25 days. But the Lord resolved everything on the 23rd of June as he was teaching me patience and praying and faith. And I love how the Lord works. It's not in the way that I would have wanted. I I, I didn't realize that I needed work spiritually, but He always does what's right. It pertained to my book on Job. It needed some formatting because there were some issues, and I had, therefore, this detour didn't plan on it, and uh, a godly man in Colorado named Bill worked on my manuscript, and then and then we, we tweaked it a little bit more to make it even better, because I had actually prayed, God, I'd like this to be the best it could possibly be, not realizing he'd take me up on that. And, uh, and so, got it back on the 23rd, turned it back to the publisher for the next step, which was to Design—they call it the interior design. That's basically the book itself. Lay it out from what I had submitted, eight and a half by eleven, to book format. And I got that back, and now I'm working through just um, making observations about what the graphic designer has done. Send that back to the graphic designer this coming week, and then next thing you know, the, the God willing, next step is is printing it. So, the Lord is good. I didn't know that I needed as much work or more than the manuscript needed. Really? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. That's right. God is good. I'm thrilled to be here, and at the same time, I wish I could see Caleb. I love him. He's, 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 he's like a son to us that I don't have to pay for, you know? <laughs> That's, that's on Les, and that's on Paige, his, his parents. But I, I love him, and uh, I, I might see him this afternoon. I might. He, he's he's going to try to be there at the meeting this afternoon, so that's good. Thank you all. What is wisdom? Right. That's the question. What is wisdom? According to Webster's Dictionary, accumulated, philosophic, or scientific learning, knowledge, ability to discern inner qualities and relationships, insight, good sense, judgment. English philosopher Francis Bacon deduced a prudent question is one half of wisdom. American psychologist William James admitted, the art of being wise is the art of knowing what to overlook. English poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge noted, common sense in an uncommon degree is what the world calls wisdom. Burgeon Evans insisted, wisdom is meaningless until our own experience gives it meaning. Consider the collective experience of the Israelite sage, our Old Testament book, Proverbs. In ancient Israel, wise men spent their life observing life. That's what Proverbs is. It's observations of life passed down from one generation to the next. In ancient Israel, wise men spent their life observing life, what God had created. Therefore, they pursued wisdom, fingerprints of the Creator. What they observed about creation, specifically its order. Yes, even in this chaotic world, there is an order. We might call it cause and effect. Why is there a cause and effect? Why does summer come with heat and humidity? every year then followed thankfully by fall and then there's winter and then there's spring why is it that the sun does rise and it does set there is an order the order that characterized creation intrigued the wise men they decided they desired such an order To shape their lives. Therefore, they pursued wisdom, the fiber of creation. And of course, God is responsible for the order. God is not chaotic, God is orderly. And He has instilled this order in the very creation that we enjoy. And we're part of it. We're part of it. Socrates said, The beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms, the definition of terms. The Israelite sage would have objected, countering, listen to Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight." From this beloved passage, just two verses, we learn two truths about wisdom. In answer to this question, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Wisdom is trusting in rather than leaning on. Wisdom is trusting in rather than leaning on. Before I go any further, if anyone here loves that hymn, leaning on Jesus, leaning on the everlasting arms, I am not destroying your beloved hymn. Okay, because I've I've actually had somebody come after. Well, what about leaning on the everlasting arms? Isn't that okay? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. That's a hymn. Okay, so I am not here to destroy your beloved hymn, and we're not singing it either today. But uh, that's okay. I'm glad we're not singing that. All right, but I'm not here to deal with that hymn. What is wisdom? Wisdom is trusting in rather than leaning on trust. Earning it takes time. Losing it takes the wind out of the sail that once propelled a marriage, or as we can see in recent days, the stock market. Misplacing it takes a toll, it makes no sense. Rhetorical question Why carefree do we human beings scatter our trust? We should think before we trust. We tend to trust that which shouldn't be trusted, and then we regret it later. We're burned. Why carefree do we scatter our trust? Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 20 and verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. The Hebrew verb translated trust in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 specifies casting oneself and one's cares onto someone else. Specifies casting oneself and one's cares onto someone else. Recall the English verbs that have an accompanying preposition. Verbs like go, we don't just say go, we'll say go out or go in. Sit, we don't just say sit. Why do we have to say sit down? Because I guess you can sit up because some people have lousy posture. Sit up, or we say sit down. When we say give, we will on occasion say give to or give back. When we use the word take, we'll say take out or we'll say take in or we'll say take up. A pet peeve of my mother-in-law, she taught English for 25 years, so be careful when you're around her. I like to use bad grammar intentionally just to see if she's still sharp, (laughs) and she is. She is. One of her pet peeves is The verb rise and then the preposition what? Up. And Helen says, well, what other direction can you go when you rise? (laughs) And I'm like, you're right, but you're not going to change how we use our our English, right? We're going to always say rise up, even though she says you don't need the word up. You can just say rise and that's enough. Okay, you're right, Helen. (laughs) You're absolutely right. The The Hebrew verb translated trust has an accompanying preposition, and we translators of Hebrew will typically translate it in. You don't just trust in the Hebrew language, you trust in. And that little preposition, believe it or not, it's just one letter in the Hebrew language that is rendered in, signifies this transference of reliance. It's a total dependence. Now, in contrast, that Hebrew verb translated lean describes supporting oneself, and it's completely different. Trusting versus leaning. Right now, I'm leaning on the pulpit. Is it supporting me? Somewhat, just somewhat. But at any moment, it's not, right? I'm still in control. I can, I, can, I can lean on it a lot. I can lean on it a little. But I don't have to because I'm in charge. I'm supporting myself, and then I decide if I want to lean or not. But like you all, what are you doing? You're trusting in where you're sitting. You're not just leaning on that chair. If that chair were to disintegrate, you're in a world of hurt because what have you done? You're not just kind of contacting that chair. No, you have placed your total dependence in where you're sitting. That's the difference. And what God says is wisdom is that we will trust in him we we, we're not because i'm the worst at it if, if there's an opportunity for me to to trust my experience my education my resources the people whom i know i'll do it why when the lord says cast all your cares on me trust in me. Why am I not your go-to? Why am I not first? I'm just telling you. It's a testimony of futility. It makes no sense. Why do I choose, if I can, to support myself? Why do I choose to lean when God says, trust and trust me? It's a whole lot better. Wisdom is... Trusting in rather than leaning on. How do you trust Him? Y'all, you trust the Lord in the same way that you love the Lord. Remember the greatest commandment? You love the Lord your God, how? With all your heart. So, the trust that we express is absolutely connected to the love that we give. Love and trust go together. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. And of course, we're not talking about the the muscle that is slightly to the left of the sternum that pumps blood. And when we English speakers use that word heart, yes, we use it in ways like mind. You are on my heart today. We, we use it for emotion. My heart was broken. We use it for will. I don't have the heart to do that. In actuality, we can just take several steps back, and heart really is not just thought, emotion, or will. It's all of that. In a word, it's you. It's who you are. So, when you're trusting Him with all your heart, you're holding nothing back. You're giving all of yourself to Him, which is right, which He deserves. He's demonstrated that He's trustworthy, that that you can turn over everything to Him, and He can more than handle every aspect of your life. You trust the Lord in the same way that you love the Lord, and you trust Him with yourself. That's the heart. Second and finally, what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing God rather than understanding everything. Wisdom is knowing God rather than understanding everything. The Hebrew verb translated, and in most Bibles, I'm preaching from the New American Standard. I don't know what Bible you prefer. In most English Bibles, the Hebrew verb that is pronounced yada is rendered acknowledge. And what I don't understand, it is not translated acknowledge anywhere else. Whenever it's used, it's simply rendered no, K-N-O-W. I don't know why it's here, acknowledge. Maybe it works in Hebrew, but it really doesn't work as well in English because as you know, we can acknowledge things but not really know them that well. We kind of give a thought to, we kind of give some attention to words when we acknowledge. But when we know something, that's a whole lot more. I wish that this verb would be actually rendered K-N-O-W, and in all your ways know Him and He will make your paths straight. This beautiful verb in Hebrew is more than intelligence. I want you to think intimacy. It is a connection. It is relational. Know Him. In all your ways, know Him. Rather than do your study just on the way, whatever the way is that you find yourself, and you're, you're doing the research. No, in any place that you find yourself, whatever the way is, make sure first and foremost that you know Him and that you know Him well. Know Him, because whom you know matters more than what you know. Whom you know matters more than what you know. Let's put it together. If you trust in the Lord with who you are and know Him intimately, then we're told that your ways will become straight paths. A straight path, unlike a crooked one, has no detours, no dead ends. Its travelers therefore save time and conserve energy. Remember geometry. I'm bringing up bad memory for somebody. Remember geometry? The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Listen to Psalm 27 and verse 11, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Y'all do not assume that the Hebrew adjective straight in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, and our English adjective easy are synonyms. I don't want you to think straight means easy. And all you have to do is think of Jesus. Jesus. Listen to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Now, in those days, John, the one baptizing, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths, what? Straight. Straight. A direct flight, so to speak, connected Bethlehem and Calvary's cross. It was a straight path. But nobody would say that the path that Jesus traveled from Bethlehem to Calvary was easy. Oh, on the contrary, it was not. Hebrews Listen to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about it, y'all, on this amazing journey with the Lord God. It's a walk day after day, isn't it? And truth be known, you you make your plans, but you have no idea what's going to happen in the next second. What's going to happen this afternoon? What's going to happen tonight? Will you make it through the night? On this journey, think about it. Any treacherous trail inside God's will surpasses every freeway outside God's will. And I'm with you, I want easy. (laughs) I don't want treacherous. But if the Lord is leading and you're thinking, there's no way that I can make it, but if the Lord is leading, you can. And if the Lord is leading, even though you see that's difficult, He'll bless you as a result of taking His lead. Any treacherous trail within God's will surpasses every freeway outside God's will. In 1887, D.L. Moody conducted a revival 24 miles south of Boston. Ever heard of Brockton, Massachusetts? Anyone? I hadn't. Brockton, Massachusetts. During a scheduled time for testimonies, music evangelist Daniel Towner grabbed pen and paper, jotting down one sentence, the sincere words of a young man who had testified, I am not quite sure, but I'm going to trust, and I'm going to obey. I am not quite sure, but I'm going to trust, and I'm going to obey. Towner sent that sentence with its story to his friend, John Samus, a Presbyterian minister. And the words, I am not quite sure, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey, inspired Samus to pen four stanzas and one refrain. Ever heard the hymn, when we walk with the Lord? But we never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side on the way. What he says, we will do. Where he sends, we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust in the Lord with all your heart who you are, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him intimately, and he will make your ways straight paths.